welcome to another episode. We got Chababi back. Um, so we were just talking about before we start recording the the All Star Game that apparently is happening, but probably shouldn't be happening. Did you see? Uh, just we can start with. Do you have any players that you think got snubbed um, from the from the reserves that were announced yesterday? Uh, a lot of people were talking about Devin Booker being snubbed, but he did he got in because Anthony Davis was injured. But I feel like every year they say like, "Oh, Devin Booker gets snubbed," and then he got in last year too because of an injury. So I'm sure like that kind of hurts his ego a bit. Like he he doesn't want to get in just because someone's injured. He wants to get in because he was good enough. But uh, yeah, I mostly agree with the all of the selections. I mean, you can't really go wrong with who they selected. So yeah, I think I think the West is fine. I think. Uh... If I if there's one person or it's kind of so I'm I'm happy Julius Randle made it, but I think the one that's like maybe the more the most questionable pick for me because I would have rather seen either Sabonis or Bam get that spot. And Julius Randle's numbers are really good, but I think him and Sabonis have like the exact same numbers, but the Pacers are, you know, like four, three or four spots ahead of the Knicks in the standings. So that's the only I don't have a huge problem with it, but that would be like the the one I probably would have picked differently, I think. Yeah, that's true. The East does have like a lot of uh, first-time all-stars. Like you got Julius Randle, you got Zach Levine, and then Jalen Brown even made it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a kind of a changing of the guard. Where, but I mean, I don't think I don't assume Julius Randle's ever going to get in another All-Star game again. I think yeah. it's just like that anomaly season where he's on a bad team, but he's putting up pretty good numbers. So they gave him a shout, and Knicks fans want to see a Knicks player in there. So. Mm-hmm. And it's like he is deserving of it. And I'm again, I'm okay with the pick because Sabonis made it last year. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, not a, it's not like it's a travesty, but it is, yeah, because the Knicks are a, like a pleasant surprise. Everyone thought they were going to be terrible this year. And they're actually, I think they're still below 500. Let me see. They're, they're two games below 500, which is still good enough for the eight seed, which just shows how, <laughs> how top heavy. Wow, this is bad. The East. The four seed is the Pacers, who are 500. So that just shows you you can't, you know, the West is still the way deeper conference. But yeah, All Star Game don't have, don't have, you know, many problems. Um, I would like, I think it would be cool if they expanded the rosters, even just like a spot or two in each conference, because the league is so, it's just so deep. Like there's so many good players that, yeah, like, like uh, Devin Booker and then the guys I mentioned in the East, even like Trey Young, someone like that. Like there's so many guys who, could be all-stars that I feel like they should, you know, no one would be mad about having more good players in the all-star game. Right. I don't think. No, I wouldn't be mad, but I mean, there's only so many players you can put on a team. Like mm-hmm. some players, they play like three minutes in the whole game and I'm sure that's not fun for them. So that's true. <laughs> like that- you gotta, you gotta re- relegate the minutes if you're the coach and that's always tough because you're dealing with a bunch of egos. Yeah, that's true. That would just make the coach's job way harder. Cause now they have, yeah an extra player or two. <laughs> right then you have to cut like the the big name players numbers and i feel like those guys they actually want to you know put up big numbers in all-star games yeah um, okay we'll get to real regular season games now so i think so we're going to start with the nets because they've been on a hot streak recently i think so they've won seven games in a row now and they beat some good teams like they beat so the pacers warriors sacramento twice but then phoenix 
and then both LA teams, Lakers and Clippers. So I think we should start with the game against the Clippers, uh, Nets Clippers this past Sunday. No KD and the Nets still won. I think they ended up winning by uh, like four points. But uh, what do you think? What were your takeaways from that game? The Nets playing without their best player probably still get the win. Yeah, I mean, the Nets give the Clippers problems even, you know, a couple of weeks before that. They they played them at full strength when uh, KD was there and, and the Nets still beat them that time as well. So that's the thing with the Nets is uh, they're going to have four Like, they're the best offense in the NBA, I would say. Like, I can't think of a team that's better than the Nets are at scoring points. Like, you've got those three guys on that roster – and even those two guys can just, with Kyrie and uh, Harden, they can still put up enough points to win you a game. So that's just what happened. I mean, the Clippers kind of choked it at the end. Um, the Clippers are not like a good team when you have like five minutes left on the clock and you're milking a lead because you're seen safe if you know all too well if you're a fan. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Kyrie is the biggest X factor on this team. Because you know he's not like a true number one option, but he's an explosive number two option. He can go off for 40 points at any given game and take over a game. Like, he can be a number one option in a couple games of a series if Durant kind of has an off game or Harden has an off game. So there's so much offensive cushion for the Nets that it's uh, it's really crazy. Like, no other team in the NBA has that luxury. Because if you compare him to the Clippers, if Kawhi has an off light, then all the burden offensively goes on to Paul George and maybe Marcus Morris. But I mean, if Harden has an off night, then you have, you can fall back on Kyrie and Durant and Kyrie has been having an exceptional season. So one thing I take away from this Nets team is uh, they're really, really good team on the road. Uh, I think they have a winning record against the West now because of this road trip. So yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit for this team offensively yeah that was a crazy game and you think like you know the nets only get better with durant there but yeah i agree with you Kyrie is the x factor because the question is like during this this stretch without durant because he's missed i think the last five games kyrie has been he's been putting up crazy numbers without durant right so uh you wonder like when durant comes back obviously he needs to get his like 18 to 20 shots a game is Kyrie going to be cool with giving up his his shots um, even though he's been he's been putting up huge numbers, so I feel like that's really the only thing that can derail the Nets now. I mean, their defense obviously is a an issue, but you saw it against the Clippers. Like their their defense is good enough. They, the Clippers only scored 108, and that was a full strength Clippers team. And uh, I guess the you know Kawhi and Paul George both had really good games that game. Paul George was on a minutes restriction, so that's why he got he was held out uh, the last I think like two or three minutes of the fourth, so that probably would have played a factor in the outcome because Paul George was out. He had 12 points in the fourth quarter still, even though he got pulled early. So, and that, you know, that could have changed things, but yeah, the nets are, I mean, especially with the Lakers looking pretty terrible right now without AD, I feel like the nets might be the favorites uh, at least, you know, where we stand right now, just because they really have no holes. Like even if you talk about their defense, like I mentioned, it's still good enough to, you know, not give it's not like, giving up 140 a night or anything crazy like that. So, uh, yeah, I'd be worried about them if I was any of the other contenders in the league. Did you think that last play of the game where uh, 
Kawhi had what would have been the game tying layup to send it to overtime, but he got called for an offensive foul on. Uh, he pushed, or they said he pushed off on Harden. Yeah, I don't. I didn't think it was a foul because, you know, at the, near the end of the game, if a player's driving in, unless it's like totally blatant, and I think that Harden flopped in that case and he got away with it, because you got to let him play if you're the refs. You don't call. You don't blow the whistle in that type of situation at that end of the game. They're both two physical players, and you got to know that you know Harden has a propensity to flop. So sometimes you just got to let them play through the contact. So, yeah, I didn't agree with that uh, call. You, you can call me biased because I am a Clippers fan, but uh, I don't know. I, I would like to see him just let him play on. Though. A little bit of physical basketball is what I'd like to see out of the NBA. But, I mean, that's kind of a dying art nowadays. Yeah, especially because this it felt like a playoff game, right? Like that could be a realistic uh, finals preview. And I think this is where like, – obviously refs have a super hard job, but – this is where I feel like the ref should have first known who's who's involved in the play, Harden. Like he's tricked every ref a million times when he has the ball with drawing fouls. So why you know probably shouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a close call. And then also just like the situation, like Kawhi has Harden. He had you know he had the angle. He had to step on him. There's no help. Like Kawhi doesn't need to push off to score on Hart. You know get a layup over him. So. Uh, that went, that's a tough, a tough loss for the Clippers too. Cause that goes from being, it should have been an, and one, which would have, if Kawhi makes the free throw, then the Clippers might just win right there in regulation. And it ends up being the game deciding, uh, call, but I feel like, I don't know if these teams play each other again this year, but those yeah, have been one, some of the, one more thing to add to oh, that yeah. is, uh, kind of like when Kawhi was driving at that last play, Harden puts his forearm on uh, Kawhi first so Kawhi only pushed off a little bit to get that forearm off of his body so Harden initiated the contact first so if you're watching that like play by play it's it's basically a play on situation like they both were jostling for position and you can't really you shouldn't be calling that in that situation yeah it really looked like Harden tried to foul Kawhi intentionally because he knew like oh this guy has a wide open layup like let me at least just foul him on the floor so he has to make the free throws and then when he didn't get the when they didn't call it, I think he realized like, oh shit, like they might call me for a foul, so I have to flop. And then it worked. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what it is about Harden, but he's just the ultimate flopper on both ends of the court, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a master on the court, honestly. Like he knows how to manipulate the game in his favor. And you know, can you hate on a guy for that? I mean, it's not the purest form of basketball, but you know, it'll get you a win here and there. Yep, and all the all the best players in the league do it. So, you know, you know, some might do it more than others, but it's like if if it helps you win, then whatever. If that you know, whatever helps you get the win at the end of the day. Um, yeah, exactly. And then what I want to touch on is kind of this game highlights the deeper root of the problem for the Clippers. Is like I mentioned earlier, like who is going to take on the offensive burden besides Paul George and Kawhi? If you look at that game. Both of them played really efficiently. So who else is going to step up? Uh, you need Lou Williams to start producing. I, I think, you know, he's on the downside of his career, but you still have him on the roster and he's there for offense. So he's got to start producing for them. Again, Batum only scoring three points in that game. Uh, Marcus Morris only five points, you know, for his contract, he's going to be at least scoring double digits every game. And, 
Patrick Beverly is pretty much non-factor on offense. So this is really – they need some sort of boost on offense. Like they need to at least trade for a decent point guard, in, in my opinion, who can at least score double digits in, for you in a game because their guard play has been pretty abysmal. Yeah, that's definitely – the area that they would need to improve. And the thing is like, they have those guys who you mentioned that can score sometimes like Morris, Lou will, uh, and yeah, but even Batum, but they're just not, not consistently enough. Like I wouldn't trust those guys to have multiple efficient scoring games. If it was in a seven game series. Um, I think that's another, this is where the canard situation comes into play because I think he was supposed to be, when they traded for him and then signed him to a pretty big deal, like immediately after uh, they expected him to be able to, you know, create offense off the bench. And now he's like, he's getting DNPs, not even because he's injured, but just (laughs) coach's decision. So he was injured. So maybe it's like lingering effects of that. But again, that's why Detroit wanted or was okay with trading him is because they're worried about his knee injuries. And then he, you know, he hurts his knee with the Clippers. So, I don't know what the Clippers have to trade. That was the problem because they gave up, a, you know, a million picks for to get uh, Paul George. So I don't know what they have to offer, really. Yeah, they're kind of strapped for uh, cap space and for draft capital. So this is basically their team, unless they get like a bargain bin center off the free agent market, or above. You know, they buy out, they get a bought out player, but. Uh, yeah, they really need some help with their point guard play and, and shooting guard play because I had mentioned earlier where they have that just redundancy of, like, forwards that mm-hmm. one of them is going to be the odd man out, and it seems that Luke Kennard is the odd man out. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't be paying a guy four years, 64 millions to be the odd man out and getting EMPs when he's healthy. So you kind of screwed yourself on that contract. So, yeah, yeah. I would say the Clippers, even though they they're looking pretty good right now, they definitely have a couple holes. I, and I after the point guard spot, I definitely think they could also use um, another big guy, just because Ibaka is uh, he's really just like a stretch five at this point. Like he's not he's not scoring in the paint at all. He's not he's not the same uh, shot blocker that he used to be either. He's more of just like a kind of a finesse player now. And then Zubac is good in stretches, but he can't play. You know super big minutes especially against certain matchups so i think they could use one of those it sounds like there's gonna be a good amount of uh of big guys on the buyout market whether it's like uh drummond or uh, demarcus cousins already got bought out or even like blake griffin who i doubt is going back to the clippers but you know there's a lot of options so so maybe they could use like yeah yeah if anything he would sign with the lakers just to get revenge against the Clippers and like beat them in the Western finals or something like that. And honestly, I wouldn't even want Blake Griffin because I don't think he would help us. We need defense and he doesn't provide that right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone would be down for that uh, awkward reunion, (laughs) but um, here, one more game that we talked about for the Clippers was this is almost a week ago now, but they played the jazz uh, last Friday and they had played the jazz two days before, but Kawhi and Paul George didn't play. So you can throw that game out, but this one was both teams at full strength because the Jazz also got Conley back, and the Clippers end up winning by four. And it, the Jazz made it look a lot closer than it really was because they hit a couple crazy threes at the very end. Just a, you know, like the last thirty seconds of the game ended up taking like twenty minutes in real time, 
But uh, what do you take away from this game, just in terms of like if we're looking at the Western Conference picture? Yeah, Jazz are still number one, but yeah, I would say uh, the Clippers can match up decently against the Jazz. And what they did in that game, they they brought Gobert out of the paint by playing uh, Marcus Morris at the five. So you can easily manipulate that matchup and you know take a bit take away one of the most defensive player on the on the Jazz. So uh, the Clippers played great that game, and it's because the other players stepped up. It's because Marcus Morris got 17. It's because Lou Williams got 19. It's because the offensive burden wasn't solely on Kawhi and Paul George. So that's why they won that game. And I think I would probably take the Clippers over the Jazz in, in a playoff series. So. Yeah, I would too. I think they kind of just showed that – I think the Jazz are a good regular season team, but, you know, Gobert is super effective against mediocre to bad teams. But there's just – in these, like, elite matchups, it's just, you know, what he is good at is kind of just not as impactful. Like, so you mentioned the Clippers play Marcus Morris at center, who's 6'8", and Gobert finishes with eight points, only takes seven shots, zero free throws. So that's just on him. Like he's not being aggressive at all, even though he has a basically a small forward probably guarding him most of the game. Um, so, yeah, I also do think, though, the Jazz, like it was Conley's first game back, so he didn't have a great game, and he only played 25 minutes too. Um, and he finished with zero assists. That's the, the big number that popped out to me. So I don't think uh, – I, I would definitely pick the Clippers in the in the playoff series, but I think it would be a really tight series just because there's just a lot of uh, firepower on both teams here. And uh, I, I don't know. Do you think so? With Conley back, the other thing I noticed, Joe Ingles, he had to go to the bench to let Conley start, and Ingles had been playing really well with Conley out. And then first game off the bench, he only has five points, uh, one one for four from the floor. So I feel like that. I don't know. That's like a tough call for for Quinn Snyder the coach but what do you think about moving angles to the bench there uh I was thinking yeah I mean you could play Conley Donovan Ingles Bogdanovich and Gobert so I'm thinking Royce O'Neal started that game I don't know why you want to start Royce O'Neal other than defense because he didn't score a damn point but uh yeah I'm thinking with the Jazz they can win games against the Clippers in a series and their X factor is Jordan Clarkson because mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson has been going off recently and uh, he could easily score over 30 in a game and, and win you a game in the playoffs. So there is some uh, offensive explosion that the jazz can provide, but that's the big thing with the Gobert. Like you mentioned, if you, if you have a six, eight center and you have the Clippers are playing the six, eight center and they have Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert is only scoring eight points, then why is he on the floor? Because he's not going to be guarding perimeter players, and he's not going to be contesting threes, and they're sucking him out of the paint. There's really no reason why he should be on the floor. So he's going to be schemed out of a playoff series. That's what I believe. Yeah, and that's rough for, you know, arguably Donovan Mitchell's their best player, but, but Rudy Gobert might be their most important player just because of what he does on both ends of the floor. But, yeah, in a matchup like this, Maybe even playing angles over Gobert if the Clippers go small, that might be even a better move for the Jazz. Which that's that's crazy to think about that this guy who is you know one of the better, maybe the best defense player in the league, and Gobert might not even be able to play in uh, 
in certain matchups in the playoffs. That's just that's just wild. <laughs> yeah, it just shows you the state of the NBA now. You have to have bigs that can switch onto perimeter players, and you have to have bigs that can close out on threes and, and move well with lateral quickness. And then even if Gobert can't even do any of those things, he doesn't bring much offensively. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a lose-lose situation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, Royce O'Neal, he does start just because he is he's a really good defender. But, you know, he, he maybe he played good defense on Kawhi. Like he held him to under 50% shooting, but he still finished with 29 points. And O'Neal, like you said, had zero. So I think, I think P.J. Tucker is another guy who is probably – going to be on a new team uh, sometime soon. But I think he would be a, a good fit on the Jazz because, you know, O'Neal might be a good matchup for like a Paul George or a Kawhi, but Royce O'Neal can't guard a bigger guy like LeBron. And uh, P.J. Tucker might be a perfect guy to have there. Plus, he could play small ball center if, you know, if worst case for the Jazz, Gobert does get uh, played off the court in a matchup. But I don't know what's happening with P.J. Tucker. I don't know if he's going to get bought out or traded or – what, I just don't think he's going to be on Houston much longer. It doesn't seem yeah, like. Yeah, in the beginning of the season, the big news was on uh, Harden, like, holding out. But then you kind of had, like, P.J. Tucker in the corner. He was also holding out as well. It's like, no one really cares about it. You know, P.J. Tucker's holding out. No one really cares about that. But I was like, no one's going to pay for you. Like, you're, mm-hmm. you're older and your body is kind of breaking down because of all that mileage you put on it, playing as a small ball center your whole career. But yeah, yeah, I think he could still help like a veteran playoff team if he could hit a couple corner threes in a game and just play, you know, tough nose defense. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like he's not going to be less of a contributor on offense than Royce O'Neal is because I don't really know if that's possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, let's go to so another team that I guess there's they're not on a win streak anymore because they just lost last night, but the Wizards had one. Uh, five games in a row before losing to the Clippers last night. And they had some good wins. They beat Boston, Houston, Denver, Portland, and then the Lakers. And then they, they got killed by the Clippers last night, but that was coming off of back-to-back. Like They had just beat the Lakers in overtime the night before. The Clippers didn't play the night before. So that's kind of a rough, uh, a tough scheduling loss, I guess. But what do you think about the Wizards? Because now they're actually in the playoff picture. Um, what do you think? Like, how serious are you taking them now that they're kind of finding their rhythm? Yeah, at the beginning of the season, I always thought they were going to be, like, on the verge of making the playoffs or be, like, you know, either an eight through a 10 seed. So I think they have enough talent on their team to make it into one of those seedings. And just because of you have star power in Russell Westbrook and Bradley Peel. So usually a team with two stars at least makes the playoffs. And they're just getting their chemistry together because if you think back of the whole season, they've dealt with a bunch of injuries. um, And also they've been hit with COVID. So when they were playing that much, so it's all kind of coming together now. And we know like Bradley Beal is going to get you 30 plus a game. I think he's leading the league in scoring now. So that's guaranteed points in the bank right there. And now uh, Davis Bertans is kind of heating up from three point line. So he was really cold the first 20 plus games of the season. So uh, it's, it's a combination of everything where the chemistry is coming together and these players are kind of finding the roles now where you have versatile defender in Rui Hachimura, 
And you can also get points from uh, Mo Wagner and Garrison Matthews. So you need those kind of role players on your team. And then let Westbrook and uh, Bradley Beal, you know, take the load of the offense and go from there. And I think they have enough talent on their team to make it to, you know, the eight, nine or 10 seed defensively. They're pretty much screwed, but you know, Hey, it's a, it's a scoring league now. So if you score enough points, you can make it in the playoffs. Yep. It's funny. They're like trying to take the net, uh, the nets approach where it's like, yeah, our defense sucks, but we'll be able to outscore people. It's like, you don't have, you don't have three of the best scores, you know, ISO scores that we've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and it's weird though. I think, yeah, it's just more, the Wizards things were just going so, so poorly for them at the beginning of the season. Nothing has really changed for them recently. Like it's not like they got, you know, some really important player back or it's not like Russ has been on a tear. Like he's still shooting pretty poorly from the field and from the free throw line, especially even in the the five games that they won. I think it's more like just kind of things just evening out kind of regressing to the mean almost. Um, and yeah, I think they're, they're right where, a lot of people expected them to be. And so the teams in front of them, it's the Magic, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Celtics, and then like the Knicks. Those are the teams. Uh, the Knicks are the eight seed. The other teams are right outside the playoffs. So, I mean, Washington is basically just as good or maybe a little better than all those teams. So well, I could definitely see them jumping over the Magic and probably the Hornets. I don't know, the Hornets or the Hawks, like those would be the two teams I think the Wizards would be most likely to jump, and then they're right there fighting for the 10 seed. And then if they get the 10 seed, who knows? I mean, they could win the playing game, but I think that's as <laughs> that's as far as their luck will go. Yeah, it would it would be fun just to see them in the playoffs, just knowing like to watch those two stars, Westbrook and Beal, go up against like a one seed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going to get swept, or they might win one game. But it, it'd be it'd be a fun ride, other than watching just like oh, the Orlando Magic again. But yeah, you know, like oh, here's no, Vucevic no putting up out. crazy numbers. But yeah, they their team like other than him, it's like who's on this team? Exactly, no one cares. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it would be good too because even if let's say they let's say they play the Nets in the first round and get swept 4-0, none of the games are even close. But Bradley Beal is going to average like close to 40 points a game. I think then he'll show everyone around the league. If there are still, you know, GMs or front office people out there who don't realize just how good he is, they'll see like, Oh yeah, maybe this guy is worth trading, you know, making like a James Harden, Paul George level trade for this guy and just giving up everything we have in terms of, you know, future draft picks. So maybe it could be good for the, the get, uh, get Bradley Beal out of Washington uh, campaign. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the roster, this is, this team just screams like we need a rebuild. You know, <laughs> if you if you take Bradley Beal out of the equation, what do you have? You just have a trash ro- roster with Russell Westbrook. So it's like they're teetering on the line of wanting to rebuild right now. If you just remove those two players, yeah, especially even just Westbrook. Like if you took, like yeah, like you mentioned, it's just a lot of young players who have already either shown some potential or still have a lot of potential. But then when you throw Westbrook in there, it's like we have to win now because Westbrook is obviously on the the downside of his career. So yeah. it's like this should be a team that you look at like, oh, they have some good young talent. But because Westbrook's there, it's just like, oh, this team, they're super underachieving, even though they do have a lot of young guys. So there's in a weird, a really weird uh, situation. But I wouldn't be surprised. I guess Westbrook is kind of – they're stuck with him for – 
however long is left on his contract, which that's, that's, that's tough for them. <laughs> that's the thing is like, did you really think you were going to win with Russell Respick and Bradley Beal as your top two players? It's, I mean, wh- why make that trade? Honestly? I don't know. And they had to, to they had to give up a first round pick to get him. Like they had to, and John Wall's playing really well this season, even though the Rockets aren't doing great, but he's having a good year. Yeah. So that's a, yeah, that's not a great trade. Russ has been in a bunch of trades the past few years where like, it seems like a really one-sided deal, even just a year after the trade has been made. It's like, whoa, that, yeah, one team clearly won that that trade. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You could even argue, like, based off of Russ, Russ's efficiency, like, he shouldn't even be a starter in the league. Like, I know that's kind of, like, blasphemy, but it's it's true. Like, if you look at the numbers, like, why are we playing this guy? He's not really leading us to wins. He's probably not going to lead us to a playoff series victory. So you're just there. So he sells tickets and puts up triple doubles mm-hmm. basically yeah. and like it's just entertaining to watch but yeah it's, it's just ah, dude his efficiency numbers are so bad like yeah so 43 percent just overall field goal percentage that's really low and it's not like he's only taking a, a handful of shots he's taking over 18 a game and then 28 percent from three and uh this is the worst one though for a point guard he's at 60 percent from the free throw line and he's taking almost six a game that's like Shaq numbers, but it's a guard. So uh, it's rough. And it's like, it's hard to hate on him just because it is fun to watch him. And he, you know, he plays with such passion, but those numbers are getting hard to kind of defend at this point. Yeah. I think we're getting at that tipping point now where we're a couple seasons away where we might see him just coming off the bench or maybe no teams really want to take him on after his contract, uh, after he fulfills the years in his current contract, like who would really want to sign him? So, yeah. And then, but the thing is, would he be cool with coming off the bench? No way. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the thing. I think there's just going to, he might just be, you know, basically passed around to really bad teams who are just desperate for any excitement. So like maybe the Knicks, well, the Knicks now they are kind of exciting just because they're at least solid, but like maybe Detroit or, you know, teams like that, the Timberwolves, just teams that always make dumb moves for like win now or just, yeah, and end up screwing themselves in the long term. He might just be that guy for the next like three years. And then maybe he'll have like a an epiphany one day where he's like, maybe I can come off the bench and be like, be like Sean Livingston was for those Warriors teams where he's, you know, super, used to be super athletic. And now he's just like, he basically just has old man game. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and, if if Westbrook kind of changed his game where he just shot less, I think a lot of this would be, you know, it would be rectified. Like those shooting numbers wouldn't be as bad if he only took like layups or mm-hmm. wide open jump shots. But he forces the issue way too much, and that's why his efficiency is in the toilet. So yep, yeah, and that also is probably partly the Wizards' fault for not having enough other good players around him because he probably feels like, well, who else is going to be taking these shots? Like I better get my 18 shots per game, but I feel like, yeah, Westbrook should be taking more like 11 or 12 shots per game. Honestly, like honestly, Chris Paul is obviously a way better player, way more efficient player. He's only taking 13 shots a game right now. Yeah. And it's not like the Suns are other than Devin Booker. It's not like there's a ton of guys on the team who like 
you think of as you know high volume shooters. So yeah, for those, I mean, Chris Paul and Westbrook are always linked because of that that trade for each other, but they're also like the exact opposite players. So I don't know. I hope Westbrook ages gracefully, but I, I don't know if that's very likely. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is I think it's going to get ugly pretty soon, but you know, as the athleticism declines, what, what else can he bank on? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. He needs to just, you know, spend a summer with Jason Kidd and just figure out how Jason Kidd developed just a crazy three point shot at the very end of his career. Cause that might be yeah. his only shot. And I've heard this before, but people are, think that Westbrook, the end of his career is going to be like Allen Iverson where it's just, yeah. You know, they were so explosive and just like some of the most exciting players ever in their prime. And then injuries and age just take that away. And they just, they don't know how to adjust to that. And it, yeah, it's just a, a really ugly flame out where think about like Iverson was just going around to Detroit. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. He'd play on some random teams, but I don't even want to talk about it because just it'll just be depressing. I don't want to think about <laughs> Iverson. On- <laughs> it's the same truth, though. It's like you have these star players that their whole games are predicated on their athleticism and their grit and their passion. And mm-hmm. when the body doesn't will it anymore. It, it gets really ugly because that ego is still there. So, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, that might be the case. And it's kind of like sad to, uh, it's like ironic, I guess, to see Westbrook breaking down like this. And then his, his, you know, most uh, well-known teammates from the thunder are, possibly on their way to winning a, a championship together on the nets with KD yeah. and, and Harden and Jeff Green too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep, so, true. so that's enough sad talk. Um, all right. So Celtics currently are, damn, they're actually outside the playoff picture right now. They'd be in the playing game, but they're the nine seed tied with the, with the Knicks, but they're 15 and 17 and they've just, I think they're, They've lost at least a few games in a row and uh, just looking pretty terrible. So what, what do you think about the Celtics right now? Like how, how serious is this, this funk they've been in? Yeah, it's pretty serious because, you know, the top paid player on your team, Kemba Walker, has struggled to sit, stay healthy since he's signed that big contract. Uh, he struggled offensively as well. He's shooting, uh, you know, pretty inefficient numbers this season. 37% from the field and 35% from three. That's not going to get it done if he's your starting point guard and possibly your third option on the team because I would say Tatum and Brown are your one and two. They're pretty in- interchangeable offensively. And then you have Kemba, which is supposed to be your third option, and he's not producing. So that the roster isn't really constructed to – really win a deep playoff series, you know, if you look at it, their center position is really thin. Uh, you, David Tice is a good, he's a good center, but he's not like a starting caliber center on, on a championship team. And, you know, you just have some like wash players on that team, like Jeff Teague, uh, Tristan Thompson. He's not going to give you much offensively. So it's kind of, they're in a tough spot actually where, they might need a trade for a big it's this roster right now is not getting it done. Yeah. The thing with, with Kemba is that he, like, he'll have some good games, but it's just, he just isn't consistent now. And it, it has to be related to the injuries, but like just so, okay. In the, in that uh, losing streak here, just some of the games he's had, like he had a five for 21 game, a two for 12 game and a four for 20 game. 
Like, and that's just three games like that in a kind of short span of time. Um, and yeah, he really is supposed to be their third guy. And outside of him, like who's the next best offensive player on that team? Like after the uh, Jalen and, and Tatum, probably Peyton Pritchard, the rookie. And so I think, and obviously this has a lot has to do with Marcus smart has been out for honestly a whole month now because he last played against uh, the Lakers on January 30th. And now, it's February 24th tonight. So and he's, you know, he's like their the soul of that team, if you will. And like the emotional leader and all that. So, and their best defensive player. So that's obviously a huge loss, but still surprising to see them look this terrible. Like it's not like the losses that they've had recently have been all to good teams. Like they lost to Sacramento, Atlanta, the wizards, Detroit and new Orleans all in the, you know, the past three weeks that smart's been out. So I don't know. They definitely do need to make a move. I don't know what, uh, how how much they have to trade. Like I know they have their own first round picks, but I don't know how. Like if those are really uh, great, you know, assets because it's not like they're going to be in the lottery with Tatum and Jalen Brown because they're both. I think Tatum's only like twenty two, and Jalen Brown's 20, 24, 25. So yeah, what would you do? Like who would you be looking to? trade for if you if you were the Celtics uh, I would try and get like Andre Drummond like a, just a big that can eat up space because I think their interior defense could use it overall and I would try to offload uh, Kemba Walker because you know particularly in his whole career he's never been like a super efficient player I mean he could be like the third best player on a championship team but his health concerns are too much now and they're kind of in a win now mode because uh, I think Danny Ainge has been in this rebuild for so long that they kind of want to start seeing results. And they've been on that cusp of it, but they've never broken through. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you go down the roster, no one on this team really strikes fear in you besides Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. So they kind of need an overhaul or to make uh, a big trade. And the thing with Kemba also is that he's not old, but he's about to turn 31 pretty soon. And for guys, you know, like small guards like that who rely on kind of like Westbrook like athleticism and quickness they don't age well like we've seen that over and over and it's not like he's a he's never been just like a super dead-eye three-point shooter and especially this year is I think might be yeah one of the lowest in his career uh, at least for a while so yeah I don't think they'll be able to trade him though because I'm pretty sure he has a pretty big contract and again like I don't I doubt uh, a lot of teams around the league have liked what they've seen for him from him recently. So yeah, the Celtics have to get somebody Drummond would help. I've also heard uh, Thaddeus young is like a name that people want to see them target just because he could do a little bit of everything. Um, that makes me wonder, I wonder if Blake Griffin, if he got bought out would be a good fit on the Celtics. He wouldn't help their defense at all, but I mean, their defense is pretty solid once they get uh smart back, but he would help with their offense. Like not, just scoring, but Blake Griffin's an insane playmaker for, especially for a big, yeah. um, and he could, he can hit threes now. So I wonder if, if, uh, if he would be a good fit there. Yeah, he could be. I mean, he could uh, infuse like kind of a randomness to the offense where it's not just mm-hmm. so much of uh, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum going one-on-one ISO every possession. So, yeah, I mean, I don't look at this team and say, Hey, that's, that's a team that's supposed to be in the conference finals or the finals. Like, they're just not there right now. So I, I think uh, realistic expectations is just for them to make the playoffs and maybe get bounced in the first round because 
talent-wise, I don't think they can hold up against some of the heavyweights in the East. Especially, yeah, definitely the way their roster is constructed right now. And that's that would suck to hear if you're a Celtics fan because I think going into the season, they, they, I mean, they made the conference finals last year. Um, and they were they were in those like it was not like the heat just destroyed them but uh on the other hand you the celtics were almost lucky to beat the raptors in the second round so but yeah i mean the celtics definitely had higher hopes than (laughs) just making the playoffs this year and i guess they they could be though like a, a kind of like a cinderella team with this new uh with the new play in tournament like even if they are a nine or ten seed they probably beat if it's like the knicks or you know the Hawks or the Hornets or a team like that, or even the Wizards Celtics probably beat them. And then let's just say Philly holds on to the one seed and the Celtics are the eight seed after winning their playing game. I mean, Boston has owned the Sixers the past few years. So not saying they could upset them, but it at least would make it, uh, they can make it interesting. Hopefully just because when you have two guys who are as good as Tatum and Jalen Brown in the playoffs, like almost anything's possible, not anything, but almost anything. Yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, 50 points between them two. Like, they both can giving you 25 a game. So, if you get some production out of Marcus Smart and then if Kemba actually, you know, starts coming around, it could be, you know, a solid offensive team. But nothing that this team does really wows me on either ends of the floor. So, and if you look back at it, like, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, but the Rozier for Kemba trade is – is looking like I'd rather have Rozier right now. He's probably making, you know, half as much as Kemba. And, you know, he's been playing really well for the Hornets this season. Oh, yeah. I actually was looking at his numbers because, okay, so if you, so I just looked at LaMelo Ball took over for uh, Devontae Graham in the starting lineup for the Hornets on February 5th. So almost exactly three weeks ago. So if you start from two games after that, because, you know, you got to get a little time to get accustomed to playing with a new point guard, but, the six games since then, five games, Rozier's actually, he's averaging over 30 points a game. And then his numbers are, his shooting numbers are not sustainable, but 58% from the field, 54 from three, and he's taking a lot of threes. Um, so obviously those aren't going to stay there, but I think the Celtics would <laughs> 100% rather have him than Kemba right now, especially because, I mean, he's he's a better offensive player right now, which that, like two, two or three years ago, if you would just, you know, said that he would have sounded crazy but now it's somehow a true statement yeah he's uh been torching defenses this year actually because he's shooting like over 45 percent from three-point line which is pretty crazy just to see the progression from him from his rookie year when he wasn't much of a shooter till now where he's just attempting you know over uh over eight threes a game so i mean he's he has no conscience like when he plays out there like he'll load up and fire and, and shoot those threes and he'll hit that game winner as he did, I believe, against the Warriors, you know, not too long oh, yeah. ago. So yep. you know, he's kind of like he has that mentality where he's not afraid of anyone and he'd be a good uh leader on a team and like a, a good third option on a on a championship team. It's kind of funny too, because he showed he definitely showed the signs of that when I think it was when Kyrie was was out that one season where the Celtics actually Remember they made the conference finals and lost to the Cavs and LeBron, but it was, they got to seven games yeah. and Rogier was the starting point guard basically that whole time. So that's a, that's a really bad look for the Celtics uh, in terms of like, they, 
they had the the player and they let him go because Ooh. i mean it was a pretty big contract but it wasn't like again it's not anywhere near what <laughs> what kemba's making i'm pretty sure yeah i'm sure they well they want to have that one back because uh that would help like so much flexibility cap wise for the Celtics, if they had never done that, I mean, they could probably trade for another all-star right now if they wanted to. Yep. And now they're, it looks like basically stuck with this roster. Um, but that's a bad sign. If like, like I, if I were them, I would bring in Drummond just because it's like something different, you know, yeah. like, and that's what, that's the stage that they're at. It's like, they just need to try. That's why I like Drummond or Blake Griffin. It's not like there's a high, uh, high chance that those moves are, are a success, but it's like, if there's any chance, you have to try it because the Celtics can't yeah. go under 500 with <laughs> with these two young stars. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah, they shouldn't be under 500 in the East. And you know, if you sign Drummond, at least you know he's going to produce for you. He's going to put up some points for you. He's going to make an impact for you defensively. So I think that's what they need. They need the most is a, is a center position overhaul. Okay, let's go to so another team in the East that's they're struggling, but it's got. I mean, they're struggling compared to where they've been the past few seasons, but that's the Milwaukee Bucks. So they're currently the third seed, 19 and 13 record, which not a bad record, but you know, we're used to them basically like having the one seed clinch by this point in the season. What do you, yeah. What have you, what do you thought about the Bucks so far? Um, do you think they're, I mean, do you think they're actually a contender this year? Or are you kind of putting them like a tier below like the Nets and the Lakers and Clippers and those teams? Yeah, I would put them a tier below just because uh, Giannis is their number one option and, I, I don't really have much confidence in him as to lead a team to the championship. And then you you look at the Bucks defense and they allow their opponents to shoot over 43% from the three-point line. They're pretty average defense. And then if you watch them uh, play, they like to play a team defense a lot, which means they'll rotate a lot for the help side. You know, if the man gets beat off the dribble, they'll have one guy suck into the paint. And then they'll try and deny those easy layups and those paint shots. So that comes at a, at a cost. If you're sucking into the interior, then there's going to be guys open outside in the perimeter. And that's where they get beat a lot now. Is they, they allow teams to just torch them from three-point line. And uh, I don't really like their defensive system. I think that's what has brought them back a step this year. And uh, I don't like what Budenholder's Budenholders are, is trying to implement for them because I think they have good enough defenders on that team where they can just go straight up man most of the time. So that the big problem is like if you're going to run a team uh, defense with a lot of switching, then why are you playing Brooke Lopez out there? He's going to get lost in translation a lot. You know, if he gets switched onto a guard that he has to close out on, the closeout is going to be slow. The guard can just blow right by him and then that guard will suck in two other defenders and then that guard has options to pass it out to the corner three or the top of the three so their defense is kind of a mess right now and uh they need to get that shirt up before the playoffs start so yeah i think i i think i i would still put them in the contender tier but definitely behind those those other teams we mentioned but i just think their defense has that you know the past couple of years that was like their their strength right they always were one of the best defenses if not the best in the league but you think about the guys they lost like Bledsoe and George Hill were really good defenders uh, for guards and then they just don't have 
holiday right now, which that was like a super random out of nowhere. He just tested positive for COVID. Uh, he's been out for like, I think he's missed nine games now. So that obviously hurts your defense because now they have to start Bryn Forbes, who good three point shooter, but that's all, all he does. Um, and yeah, Lopez just isn't the same. Like last year he was, I think he made an all defensive team last year, actually. And now this year he looks, he looks a little slower. Um, but yeah, it really just comes down to Giannis and so, okay. So I, I, I looked at, so the nine games since that holiday has been out, Giannis is putting up 32 points, 13 boards, six assists. And then this is the biggest number. He's shooting 75% from the free throw line on 12 and a half free throws a game. So if he can, so that's why I'm, I have them in that, that contender tier. If Giannis can keep up, you know, similar numbers, but at least that keep up the free throw shooting percentage when holiday gets back. Cause obviously drew holiday will help your defense a lot. Um, but they also are a team that I don't know. They don't really have any ways to make any moves because they gave up, you know, so much for holiday. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they can really get anybody from the, from the buyout market or via trade either, but yeah, they're definitely, I, they haven't played Philadelphia yet, but like, I feel like they match up way better against Philadelphia than they do against Brooklyn because, you know, like you mentioned, if they're giving up a lot of open threes, Brooklyn is just going to put up like just, you know, score in bunches against them. Whereas obviously Philly has more shooting this year than they have had in the past, but I would still feel pretty confident with like, let's see how, you know, how trustworthy that shooting really is. Like we're going to, you know, stop up the paint as much as possible because that's where Embiid and Simmons get all their points. So I, I think they play each other sometime soon, but yeah, that's a matchup that I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, do you think, would you pick the Sixers in that series if they if they were to play each other? Uh, yeah, I would take the Sixers just because I don't think anyone can guard Embiid on that team. I mean, I don't think anyone in the NBA can guard Embiid. So that's true. I was just thinking about what you said—the Nets and the Bucks playing—and I think the Nets would just kill the Bucks. Honestly, I could just see the Nets just having the Bucks run circles on defense and. It'd be pretty bad, actually, because no one's really going to stop Kyrie. And Drew Holiday kind of hangs his hat on defense. And, I mean, Kyrie's still going to give you, like, 25 a game in the playoffs. So you can't really negate for that. It's just some players, like, you can put your best defenders on, but they're still going to get theirs. So I don't know. I don't, I, that's why I say, like, I, I, see, I see the Sixers, I see the Nets as the two top teams in the East. And then the Bucks are just slightly below that. Yeah, I have that same order. I think actually Blake Griffin makes sense with the Bucks too, because then if let's say they match up against the Nets, then you could play Giannis at center and you know have him guard Durant. And then Blake Griffin could, you know, play four and just put him on Jeff Green, who's just gonna be yeah. a spot up shooter, anyways. And then yeah, you could uh Blake would help their their offense a lot because basically he's you know just as good of a three-point shooter as Lopez, because Lopez isn't I feel like he gets the kind of like labeled as a, a really knockdown stretch five, but he's just an average shooter for a big guy. He's just so big. And like, he was good on defense that it was a bonus, but now he, I mean, I don't know. I feel like teams are okay with letting him shoot threes. And I have to double check his numbers just to make sure he's not shooting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him right now and his best year shooting the three ball was 36 and a half percent with Milwaukee in uh, 2018, 2019 season. And people were raving about him like he was shooting like 42% from three. 
But I guess people are just more amazed that he can shoot from deep. Like you don't mm-hmm. really see like a seven foot awkward dude just pulling from Curry range. But he yeah. was doing it that year. So and this year he's at just under 36%, and 36% is league average. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's not like you know, if they have to replace him with Blake Griffin to match up with the net, it's not like they're losing a a knockdown shooter. Yeah, that's and they're true. getting someone who could help their their offense a lot more. And then that's just you know, that kind of gives them because the matchup with the Nets, you really do just need as many creators and just weapons on offense as possible. And Blake Griffin would be that guy. Cause then you have Drew Holiday, Middleton, Blake, and Giannis. Those are four guys who can who can at least, you know, create for other guys, even if Blake's not the same scorer he used to be, he can still but you could use him in a lot of ways to be a playmaker. Yeah, or at least just be a decoy. But even with mm. you know Blake Griffin, I don't see how the Bucks are just going to match up with the Nets offensively because it's going to be a nightmare, honestly. Like Giannis <laughs> isn't going to be able to, you know, KD will come down the court and he'll pull three in Giannis's eye. Giannis can't just do that, you know. You can't match him point for point like that. So it'll be tough for them for sure. Yeah, I would take the Nets there, but I think it would be closer though. Just they played. They did play this year, but it was like really early on in the, the after the Harden trade. But it was a it was a really close game. I th- was that did that game come down to a, a last second shot for the Bucks that they missed, or that that might be a different game I'm thinking of. But yeah, that'd be that'd be a fun matchup. Um, so okay, like I mentioned Blake Griffin, but uh, there's one more one more buyout guy that you wanted to to bring up, right? Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, DeMarcus Cousins for a little bit and just, you know, how this whole career trajectory has gone. Because at the beginning of the season, I thought the Rockets were a pretty good fit for him, especially with, uh, you know, James Harden being there and John Wall being there. I thought they would be, you know, a top four in the in the West type of playoff team. But uh, ever since Christian Wood has gotten injured, they've kind of – made DeMarcus Cousins play more starters minutes. Mm. And uh, the production is kind of there. You know, he's averaging around nine points and uh, around eight rebounds. But his efficiency isn't that isn't there. I mean, he's shooting 38% from the field. And out of a, from a big man, you want him to shoot like high 40s at least. But that's what DeMarcus was most of his career. So you can kind of see how the injuries have taken their toll on him especially defensively like he's a defensive liability now he can't really move his feet because of all the injuries to his ACL and his Achilles so I'm kind of like curious as to see where you think he's going to end up after he was waived from the Rockets yeah man I, I just don't think I don't think anywhere he goes really has that big of an impact uh which sucks because he he was you know, he helped out uh, Golden State a few years back in the playoffs, and then he did look like he was in good shape, at least in the you know offseason, preseason, heading into last year with the Lakers before he tore his ACL. But I think now it's just for someone that big, it's you can't come back from from injuries like that just because like we saw it. Obviously, Durant is doing it, but Durant weighs like <laughs> him and Cousins are like the same height, but Durant weighs like half as much and. Obviously, that has a big impact, you know, with like just the amount of like force on, on your joints. So I, I don't know, I don't know where he'll go. Um, I'm sure a team 
will take a chance on him just because he still is DeMarcus Cousins and like people always talk themselves into you know him still being able to contribute at least a little bit but I don't really think it'll have that much of an impact at all really on like the you know the overall outcome of the playoffs but what do you think yeah I was thinking uh how fast the fall from grace has come you know just like three four years ago he's with the Pelicans and He's putting up these monster numbers with AD and then the unthinkable happens and he gets injured. He gets injured again. And it's like, you'll never see that same player again that he once was, even though he had shown flashes of it this season, there was a game where he played against the Mavericks. He had a uh, 28 points, 17 rebounds, five assists and four three pointers made. So those are like, those are like prime DeMarcus cousin numbers right there. So it's, he can't do it on a consistent basis anymore. So I think he kind of has to swallow his pride a little bit and just take a role where he can be that energy guy that gives him a team 15 to 20 minutes a night and he can, you know, get his buckets offensively. Kind of like an Enos Cantor type role with like the trailblazers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where it's like we're not expecting anything from you on defense, but just go get some offensive rebounds, putbacks, you know, a couple pick and roll buckets here and there. But yeah um i wonder if though i think like we mentioned the uh the celtics where they just have to try basically anything like if i were them cousins would probably be like third on my list but if you know drummond or blake griffin if those don't if they can't get those guys then if cousins might be like the last resort just because it's like let's just try anything here and and, you know maybe he can be like a stretch five who yeah i think yeah 15 minutes is probably like the most you want him playing for you but yeah i hope you know i hope he can contribute but he just looks and it's sad because he's only 30 uh yeah like 30 and a half but yeah man those injuries and the miles just yeah they just he's definitely breaking down yeah i i don't see a really a good fit for him like anywhere in the league people were talking about the warriors <laughs> just because uh, they kind of need big man help, and they think like James Wiseman needs some more time to develop. So I don't, I wouldn't want to be playing him starter minutes. So that's a problem. Like yeah. I would fear his body's going to break down on him. He kind of needs to be that you know energy guy off the bench at this point in his career. And maybe like the Raptors make sense since their centers have been pretty, uh, pretty dismal this whole season. Like Aaron Baines has been awful. So. I could kind of see like the Raptors taking a flyer on him. Maybe he could kind of play that Marcus Hall role. So, we'll see. yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, I think it might be a team like, you know, the Raptors, Celtics. Uh, even you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned Ennis Cantor because I wonder if like even the other Blazers, it's going to be like one of those mid tier teams who's just like, what's a move that we can make that might be, it's like a high, high risk, high reward, where it's kind of just like a swing for the fences basically. But, yeah, it's, if it doesn't work out, it's not you know it's not like they're relying on Demarcus Cousins to you know change their entire season like get them to the championship, but maybe he could be at least a contributor to help them get out of the first round or something like that. But I don't think he's going to be like you know helping one of these top top teams. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people were saying, oh, he's going to go back to the Lakers, but I don't see how the Lakers would want him because if anything, the Lakers want a defensive big man, and he doesn't mm-hmm. fit that role for them. So, I mean, right. knowing any team, knowing like DeMarcus Cousins is on the waiver wire and they're picking up 
they know he's going to play minutes. Like, you don't pick up DeMarcus Cousins just to sit him on the bench. Like, you have to utilize him somehow. He's not like a locker room leader type player. No, exactly. <laughs> Obviously not, you know. So you're saying he's not like a Udonis Haslam? No. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, – it's sad to see. So Yeah, it's – yeah, it kind of is like a similar conversation to the Westbrook one where yeah, obviously Westbrook is you know a way better player just historically like overall, but kind of similar players where they put up ridiculous numbers, but at the same time you kind of question like like Russ's triple double season, the first one where he where he won the MVP. Like the numbers are crazy and all that, but you look at the numbers and then the team success, you're like, eh, you know, how 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 much were those numbers really impacting winning, I guess? Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, he's not going to be like on a championship team or anything, but uh, I want to see him do well because I want to see him be able to come back from these injuries and at least play like at least two or three more years and not just go out dismally being waved by the Rockets. And like yeah. Well, Anthony almost did. So. Yeah. <laughs> That would be terrible. If that, yeah, his career can't end this way. I'm sure someone will take a chance. I wonder if it'd be kind of funny if there is a team that like has one of these these super young, you know, like budding stars, like a Zion or John Morant type player. If they just want to bring him in, like, what if the Pelicans wanted to bring him back just to be like a, a protector for Zion? You know, like if like remember when Blake Griffin was in his prime dunking on people, and uh-huh. everyone just started like fouling the shit out of him whenever he would try and dunk on somebody. And it was always like Baron Davis and then Chris Paul, who are like his, his kind of bodyguards. That's what maybe cousins, that should be his, uh, he could advertise himself as that now. Like, yeah. Hey, Pelicans, you don't want, you don't want Zion to get hurt. Right. Like you need, Steven Adams isn't, <laughs> isn't yeah. doing his job. Like <laughs> basically like a Kendrick Perkins type role. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> where you're not even playing. You're not even in the game. <laughs> Yeah, and that's talking trash to the other people. And that's just that really just shows how sad this conversation is because I'm looking at uh, Cousins' numbers. So this was only four years ago. Uh, his last year, oh, so the year that he went from Sacramento to New Orleans. So combined that year, he averaged 27 points, 11 boards, four and a half assists per game, and was shooting 36 percent from three on five attempts per game. So. Like what? Those are insane numbers, and now here we are saying like, oh yeah, he could be like a Kendrick Perkins type player. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, look <laughs> at the trajectory of this. It's just crazy how life uh, can hit you out of nowhere. So. Yep, I think it really is just like these injuries, and yeah, for him, and it seems like it's sad too because they just add up, right? Like it was, I don't even know the order of it anymore. Like, was it? Did he tear his ACL first? And then uh, I think he tore his Achilles last year. Okay, yeah, you're right. And then last year he tore his ACL in it was like a you know preseason scrimmage, not even an actual preseason game, just like a offseason workout with the Lakers. Yep. Man. So, and he tore his quad, I think, in the with the Warriors that one mm-hmm. year, and then he came back for it. So for I the mean, playoffs, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's Damn, been he, he's been through the ringer basically being injured. And that's yeah. what another thing that doesn't get talked enough is like it's a kind of a skill to to stay healthy because mm-hmm. your whole career is 
based off your health and it can easily just be derailed like a hall of fame he's been having a hall of fame career up to the point where he's gotten these injuries and then now it's kind of in question so just shows you how tough it is out there he probably would make the hall of fame just because everyone makes the basketball hall of fame but yeah, yeah and I, that, that's a good point like we do have to remember to factor in just durability to when you're looking at players careers i think so obviously lebron is like the ultimate example of that but um that goes without saying but yeah. think about think about james harden like he he never misses time like i think uh last year well not even last year six so look at his last few years 68 games last year which that's basically the entire season because it got cut short and then 78 the year before 72 81 82 81 he just he doesn't take games off really he doesn't get injured and then he's playing ridiculous minutes like he's basically playing 37 minutes a game every season he's at Mm. 38 he's at 39 a game this year for brooklyn in 19 games (laughs) so I, i think that's like we should have remembered that when he came in a little out of shape it's like he never looks like he's in great shape, but still yeah. he plays every game and basically the entire game. So he just has one of those, like, you know, he, he has like one of those weird body types where he just is never going to be like Dwight Howard or like LeBron, but he he's still in shape, you know? Yeah. I'll never understand uh, James Harden body type. It's like, you want to, you want to call him fat, but then you want to call him buff and then he's somewhere in between. And so one day he looks fatter than the other. So it's yeah. Just <laughs> He just fluctuates, but he also is like, yeah, it's funny. Like people say he's chubby, but then you see his arms are just jacked, like yeah, super yoked. And then he's obviously one of the strongest players in the league. You see like to draw, obviously we could, you know, make fun of him flopping and drawing fouls, but that takes a toll on your body, like getting hit that many times. Yeah. And I feel like he's the one doing, doing the punishment. Like he's on the LeBron level, but you definitely, I feel like you definitely feel it in your, uh, like all over your body after you play James Harden because he's just if you have to guard him, I mean. Maybe that's why he keeps that body type though, is because he knows he's going to be dry, drawing contact. So if he has kind of like extra padding or extra muscle, mm-hmm. it'll help him to absorb it. So no, yeah, he's probably tailored to his game because I'm sure if James Harden really wanted to drop weight, he could. Mm-hmm. And just because, but his pole play style would have to change. So yeah. I think he's just comfortable where he's where he's at right now. I definitely think that's true because remember, I'm not comparing Harden to Michael Jordan, but remember in the last dance uh, when when the Bulls couldn't get past the Pistons, Jordan just spent you know that offseason just in the weight room trying to get big because he was like, I have to you know be able to handle all these these t- uh, super hard fouls from, from the Pistons, and it's kind of a similar thing where I'm sure Harden knows like I need to play with this body type, otherwise he probably would he wouldn't be as durable. Yeah. I don't think he'd be as good even. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Right, because he couldn't, yeah, he wouldn't be able to use his body to draw these fouls and, like, get to the rim so easily. That's funny to think, like, maybe he'll change that as he gets older, but or he could also. I could see him, as he ages, just actually getting fat, where he's, like, <laughs> where he looks like a 6'5 Raymond Felton at the last couple yeah. years of his career. <laughs> Turn into, like, Sean Kemp or something. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. <laughs> but still having that same play style. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still be hitting step back threes. Yeah, hey, he, it's, he has like the uh, like the adult league body where yeah. you see him walk in, and you're like, oh, this guy just you know 
probably here to just get his weekly cardio. You can't be that good. And then he just <laughs> drops 35 and 12 on you. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like this guy probably has a family, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like here, wait. So I did put, I looked at Harden. This is the last thing. Harden's uh, the seven games that they've won in a row. His numbers are ridiculous. 28 points, nine and a half rebounds over 11 assists. And then 50% shooting 48 from three. And then here's the craziest part. So he's, He's averaging like just under four turnovers per game, but obviously those assist numbers are crazy. So his whatever assist to turnover ratio is still at three, which is really, really good. Like where I don't even know, like this is the perfect situation for him. I feel like, cause in Houston, he was always, you know, he would be like the leading scorer in the league and he was always the main scorer, but I feel like that's not really what he, I don't know how to like, do you know what I'm saying? I don't, obviously yeah, he's a he really just, good score. Mm-hmm. Like where any team you put him on, he just fits. And then it's amplified because he's next to two superstars. So, you know, when he's dishing out those assists, he's giving it to Kyrie Irving, he's giving it to Kevin Durant. You get a, a much more efficient team. Like it's just mm-hmm. like putting a supercharger on, on a car, basically. Like you just souped up that car because, you know, he has that basketball IQ. I, I would say his basketball IQ is even probably the best on the Nets team. He knows how to run an offense. And I think, why he wanted to get out of Houston was because he figured out that I'm going to be the burden of the offense every night, night in, night out. If I have a bad game, it's going to be all on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of just taking all this responsibility. So let me go play with two other superstars and I can just play my game, still put up my numbers and, you know, not take on as much stress as just running the team by myself. Yeah. That's true. And like, yeah, that's what, no, that was a good way to kind of capture what I was trying to say. Cause I couldn't, I didn't want to say like Harden, he doesn't want to score because obviously he's one of the best scorers ever. But I, yeah, I do feel like he is more comfortable as a facilitator first. But then he obviously is a good enough player that he's still going to end up with 25 a game, which just shows how ridiculously good he is. But yeah, like this is why I, I think I would have the Nets as, as the favorite is because. You know how Harden, the knock on him is always that he kind of, not chokes, but kind of flames out in the playoffs. Like he doesn't have his usual crazy stat lines in, in big games. But that's, like I mentioned, he was always the main the main guy then. Now, if he isn't, you know, if his shot's not falling, he can just not take shots and just set up Kyrie and, and uh, KD and then also Joe Harris. So like now it doesn't have to be all on whether that step back, that step back three is falling. So that's why I think the Nets are are really scary. And this might be too much to ask, might be too optimistic, but maybe if he doesn't have to have such a, a big scoring load, maybe he can actually try on defense because he is a good defender when he tries, which is not often. But yeah, you've seen he he's like we mentioned how strong he is. He can guard like you know bigger players, I think. He was a decent defender when he was with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just stopped trying when he was on the Rockets. So, I mean, he does definitely have, like, try. imagine yourself trying to drive against James Harden. Like, he could just check you with his forearm, and you're not moving anyway. Yep. So, you know, obviously he's not the fastest player, but he could still kind of hold his own. Even the years in Houston, uh, there were, like, statistics on him on how good he was on post-ups because you they would try and post up bigs on him, and they just couldn't move him because he was just solid as a rock. So, you know, yep. he kind of has some uh, defensive potential, but that's if he's, like, truly locked in. 
that's what I mean. Like the ability is there and like, he'll show it every once in a while. Even this year he had, I think it was that first Clippers game. He had a, a play where he played, like he kind of locked up Kawhi for a couple of possessions. And you see like, Oh, when this guy tries, he can actually play defense. Um, and so now maybe he will try because he doesn't have to, you know, score 36 a night. Like he had to in Houston. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, but that's why I, I really do think, and it could be recency bias, but like, we also haven't seen an offense this good ever in the history of the NBA, <laughs> like yeah. three guys who are this good at scoring in isolation and what happens in the playoffs. It's, you know, it's basically just isolation ball when it really comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, especially this team is just built for offense. Like the Nets, they don't really have any other options besides those three. Like your center's <laughs> not going to score. Joel Harris will shoot his threes, but it's really just all revolving around them and uh and they also signed some defenders too like iman shumford and uh andre roberson wait they just cut those guys actually like yeah i think they're they're going to try and resign them again or something something with the money doesn't work i think they waved noah vonley too i don't think they're Mm going to resign him but uh those acquisitions kind of make sense to me because that's all they need at this point it's just some dudes who just want to play defense and not shoot so <laughs> that's they exactly feel, they what feel those that guys are yep yeah exactly. <laughs> they're another team that i wonder if you know if pj tucker does get bought out and he's already 36 which that was kind of a surprise to me but you know he probably knows that he doesn't have much time left in his career what if he's just like oh let me just go play with with james harden and you know my old coach mike d'antoni let me just sign for the minimum and yeah. a guaranteed ring but like that team you add pj tucker to it that's that's probably the most perfect fit that you could, you know, add in terms of these buyout guys for the Nets. Yeah, it's like, well, what do the Nets need? They want a defensive center, and you know, PJ Tucker is like the he wants to be a defensive center, so he plays mm-hmm. it, you know. So yep. that's that's his calling card is defense, and uh, he can guard bigs when called upon. So yeah, he's a good fit there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so end it with uh, just has your. Uh, has your MVP ladder changed? Like, who do you just have one, two right now? Uh, well, I think because the Lakers' recent struggles, I kind of put LeBron a little bit lower. Um, I would say Embiid's still number one for me because I was watching a game on ESPN when he was playing the Bulls. Yeah, I think he torched him for 50. He had 50, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were sending, like, doubles his way. and He was just eating them alive. It was just kind of crazy to watch like he was just toying with them so uh, yeah i would have Embiid, and then my second would probably be curry now just because the warriors should have no business being over 500 and uh he's really the only main reason why they're even close to 500 or a little bit above 500 and i don't think that team should make the playoffs this year but it's because of the sheer brilliance of curry and his ability to change the game. So those are my one, two. All right. Yeah. I got to have Embiid first still. And then, I mean, I would have LeBron second just because the Lakers are still the third seed and his numbers are good, but yeah, it definitely looks like that that's trending down because they're getting blown out again tonight by, by the jazz. Um, I would probably have, I'll put Jokic third just because they're one game better than the Warriors or one spot ahead of the Warriors. And yeah, his numbers kind of the same thing as the Curry argument, but yeah, Jokic's numbers are ridiculous. Like, yeah, you know, basically 
27 point triple double and he's a center and then shooting 41% from three. So yeah. And I could see them, you know, that's a team where I could easily see them. Like they should finish top four in the West. Like that was their, you know, projection going into the year, but they're not too far. I mean, they're only four and a half games or three and a half games out of the four seed. So still a lot of, a lot of games left, but yeah, I feel like there are a lot of guys who are like in that Curry, Jokic, uh, Dame, even Luca. If the Mavericks get a little better, like there's a lot of guys in that kind of just outside the top tier. But you know, yeah. a five game win streak could change all that. But all right, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ball Till You Fall podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please like, rate, subscribe, follow, download, all the above. Uh, we're honestly we're going to keep releasing episodes even if you guys don't do any of the above but it'll just make us feel better about ourselves if we see that people are listening and you know downloading and basically just enjoying the episodes so be a nice person today uh please spread the word uh, the world needs more nice people out there so just search ball till you fall podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify or basically just anywhere that you listen to podcasts out there again we really appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next episode